Welcome to Love Works with Chris and Karen Conley. This is Karen, and it is a beautiful day in Memphis, Tennessee, and we are rounding out our podcast series on the Holy Spirit. And I am in studio right now with my best friend, Chris Conley, who also happens to be the founding pastor of High Point Church. I'm excited for us to be able to end on a very practical note so that every single believer that's listening can know exactly what a gift we have in the Holy Spirit and what on earth we need to do to have a greater awareness of the Holy Spirit. Because what we want to do today is we want to remove any excuses as to I haven't been able to grow because you know I didn't know this or I didn't understand this or whatever it might be the Holy Spirit has been put into our life to ensure that we grow you know like we said in the last podcast he grows us he guides us he gifts us so today it's our hope and prayer that you walk away from this and you go you know what i have everything that i need from god god has promised god believes in me god is doing whatever he needs to do to ensure that i become more and more like christ And he loved us enough that not only did he send his son, but he also sent the helper in the form of the Holy Spirit when Jesus went to go be at his right hand in heaven. Last podcast, I'm just going to recap very quickly. We talked about on the daily basic level, what is the Holy Spirit doing? Well, he's changing our desires. When the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, part of what he is doing is giving us the ability to think differently, and that changes our desires, which has implications. Our desires, when they change, we make different decisions. And when we make different decisions, we begin to put new disciplines in place. And as those are established, then we see that those new disciplines take us into a different direction. And that direction will ultimately allow us to be at the destination that we desire. So the question then is, how does all that happen? Yeah, it's a great question. That's why we're here. Right. So as we think about it, a myth that exists is just get your Bible and just read your Bible and just do everything you can to know that Bible. And if you know the Bible, if you know the Ten Commandments and you know all the rules, then you'll do it. Does that work anywhere else in our life? Not really, no. I mean, I know the speed limit, and I rarely follow the speed limit. Yeah, we're working on that. I know. I'm doing well, though. I haven't had a ticket in... Months. uh, 18 months or so. There you go. So pretty good. Yeah. But as we think about this, we've got to look at this and go, okay, what does Scripture say about how this spiritual growth process takes place in our life? The first thing that we see is is we do renew the mind. And that's Romans 12 too. You know, do not be conformed to this world. That's the most natural thing. The most natural thing is for our sinful nature to be conformed to the sinful ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So transformation occurs by the renewing of our mind. What we must do, we can't take a shortcut. We can't just depend upon church attendance alone. That if you simply come to church at best, I mean, the average church attendee only comes to church a third of the time. Now, we got to improve that. That's 17 times a year. That's all right? sad. It is. So can you imagine for the average Christian, if they're only attending church 17 times a year, and that's about a 40-minute message, you're expecting that level of renewing the mind to transform you? No way. 50% of the time, 25, 26 Sundays a year. 
that's not going to renew your mind. Even if you just did every Sunday, that's not enough to renew our mind. That's why we've got to meditate upon the Word daily. So whether it be through a priority time, reading the Word of God, whether it be through listening to music or teaching throughout the day, listening to podcasts, it's just there are different ways, reading different books. You constantly are feeding your mind with different inputs of the Word of God, and that's the first part of the equation. And the truth is, whether we look at it this way often or not, all of us renew our mind with something. Yes. The question is just, what are you putting in front of your mind? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Is it something that points to the Lord, or is it something that detracts from the Lord or offends the Lord? And so we've got to put that first. Yeah, and we spend enormous amount of time entertaining ourselves. And we spend all kinds amount of time on social media and things like that. We just have to discipline ourselves and prioritize the renewing of our mind. But here's the second thing. It happens first through a renewed mind, but second, it happens through renewed relationships. Now, I cannot emphasize this enough. Some of the things that we frequently say at High Point is that friendships will make you or break you. Friendships determine the direction and quality of your life. But let me put that in the context of Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, it says, let us draw near. All right, so we're going to draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I mean, what incredible imagery that is. He continues, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So there are times that we do waver. This is a difficult world to live in. It's a painful world to live in. But he says we've got to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So the God that we follow is faithful, even though there are things in this world and people in this world who are not faithful. He says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So notice that we are stirring one another up. We're not doing this alone. We're not doing this in isolation. We're drawing near together. We're holding fast together. We're stirring one another up together to love and good works. It says not neglecting to meet together. So honestly, a third of the time, 17 times a year is not good enough. 50% is not good enough. We got to go beyond a Sunday attendance mentality to living the life mentality. We got to go beyond attending to following, to being in community, to being in friendship, to being in relationship. It says not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging encouraging one another. Encouraging one another is people talking to people. It's not programs. Well, and on that note, I would say even as you're talking about church attendance, we do often look to that passage and say, don't neglect the gathering and meeting together. The context of that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, was not them coming and sitting in an auditorium facing forward and listening to a sermon. It was them in a context of community. Yes, the word of God you need to listen to and you need to be under sound teaching, but that alone is not what it means to gather together. There has to be a life-on-life component to your walk. I have never known someone to be healthy and growing outside of healthy friendships outside of a community that is striving to serve God together. And, you know, we see this all the time. You and I live in the parent world right now with two teenagers, and it is not any big surprise of how concerned parents get depending on who their kids are hanging out with. And if your child is hanging out with the wrong crowd, bells and whistles should be going off. And yet 
somehow we don't make that same translation to adult world and realize if you're hanging with the wrong people, it's just as dangerous as an adult as it is to a teenager, that we, too, are influenced. And we can't just stay around people that and they don't have to be the criminals, just people that aren't walking with the Lord. That still has an influence on us. People have such this powerful influence for good or bad. And it can be subtle or it can be really strong. But when I'm around people who love the Lord, when I'm around people who are serving and making a difference, they inspire me. But also when I'm around people who take a more passive approach or tend to be lazy in their disciplines, if I'm not careful, I can lower my standards. The body of Christ should sharpen one another, should stir one another up. And even in this passage, when it talks about stirring one another up, there's a part of it that's even agitating. It agitates us and it takes us out of our comfort zone and it kind of prods and pokes us to do the right thing. So not only is it a renewed mind of how this happens or renewed relationships, but we have to have renewed service. Now, Karen, you lead our women's ministry. And you are constantly recruiting women to serve in different ways and putting together different types, like you did the retreat here recently. Talk to us about the way that serving facilitates spiritual growth. Well, it's funny that you asked that question, but it was stunning to me this past semester as we finished up our semester of Bible study. I asked women to be deliberate and thoughtful as to how the Lord had been at work in their life during that semester. So I gathered all of the cards and I was going to ask a couple of the women to share when we came together for our final session, basically what they had written down. I just wanted for them to not just hear it from the pastor's wife, but from someone else of God's activity activity in their life. What I was not expecting was when I got those cards back, it was my leaders that I saw the greatest amount of God's work. They had a greater awareness of God's work. And so to your point, it was the women who were serving, who had put themselves in a position to lead, that not all of them were the outspoken ones. Some of them are quiet leaders. Some of them are the administrators. Some of the people are doing setup of coffee. But nonetheless, whatever their gift was, it was such a proof to what we're talking about that I hadn't considered that the ones that were serving were the ones that got the most out of it. It's just like investing. They invested their time. Mm -hmm. They invested their talent. And they got a return on their investment. And the return on their investment was in proportion to what they invested. And the more you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve who? one another. If you're in isolation, if you're not in relationship, then how are you using your gifts? Your gifts are for other people for the common good of the body. It says, and do it as a good steward of God's grace. There's a certain stewardship. We can't ask God to grow us in one area when we're disobedient in another area. So, hey, God, would you grow me and give me friendship? You know what? I'm not going to serve and use the gifts you've given me. That's where these things have to operate together in agreement with one another. So not only are we going to see our spiritual growth occur with the help of the Holy Spirit through a renewed mind, through renewed relationships, through renewed service, but also the last that we'll look at is through renewed giving. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yes, because Christians make so many excuses as to why they don't give. And it's a tragedy. 
it's a tragedy that the one who gave his son for us, and yet we'll go, well, that church over there, they didn't use their money properly, or, or well, that person abused this privilege and stuff. No, I've been in this for 20 years now. The vast, vast, vast majority, 90 plus percent of pastors and churches manage their money well, and they're efficient, doing everything they can to maximize the use of the money for the glory of God and for the good of people. But here's what we have to do. We have to understand that money is the greatest opportunity to be an idol in our life. It's the thing that can replace God more than anything. So if we would just trust God on this and trust that he tells us that if we will tithe, give our first 10% to him, that he'll open the floodgates of heaven upon us and pour down a blessing till there's no more need. But I also want you to think of it in light of this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6-8. through 8. It says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So when it comes to giving, instead of us asking how little we can give and still keep God happy, why don't we ask how much we can give? Instead of us trying to get away with the minimum, why don't we think in the terms of abundance? Look at verse 7. It says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart. So this is about the heart. This is about a relationship. This is about fueling the movement of God and how all these things work together. If you're not in relationship with other people, then you're not loving other people enough to want to be able to give. If you're not serving, then all of a sudden you're not seeing the difference that serving makes in order to want to give. But watch what he says. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So we're not manipulating. We're not trying to persuade people to do this. He says, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. We just want to be the overflow of your heart. Here's the thing about giving that we rarely put these two together. Giving kills greed. Greed exists in my heart. And one of the ways God chooses to kill greed is through giving. So he says in verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. Notice the word abound. So all grace is going to abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. So you're not lacking anything. You have all sufficiency in all things at all times. You may abound in every good work. We fuel the work of God by giving And that keeps our heart focused on Jesus front and center, first place. When he's first, then everything else falls into its proper order. And honestly, there is such a process that you go through in that decision to give, whether it's one that you've determined in your heart and you do it consistently, or whether it's something that you, you know, have something new that comes about to go, is the Lord prompting me, is the Holy Spirit prompting me to give in this way? That it is that process that we go through that we can look back and go, you know what? God matured me through that. I do see the work of the Holy Spirit in me because I did choose to kill greed. I did choose to be obedient in that. And some of my greatest observations about giving, they're all in hindsight. They're like, wow, I'm so grateful that I was obedient and made that decision. And I can look back and go, God must be doing something that I was able to choose that instead of my own selfish desires. Right. Because it's important for us to understand that money's not neutral. Because if we're not using it for good, 
and we're not using it for generous reasons, then we're going to probably use it for selfish reasons. We're not just using money in this neutral way. And the reason why money's not neutral is because our hearts aren't neutral. Right. So if our heart is loving God, then we're going to use money in a great way. If our heart's being selfish, then we're going to use money for selfish reasons. And so as we think about that, it's just important to understand that it's all about the giver, not the gift. Money is neutral until a person walks in the room. There you go. (laughs) Well, as we kind of turn the corner for this last half of our podcast, we wanted to address those topics for that person that feels stuck or they're not growing spiritually and just to try to help them. Now, we've taken it from a proactive way. These are some things. But for that person that maybe is going, but I'm really struggling. Why do we see that struggle? Here's the best way to get unstuck. Okay, we live in Memphis, Tennessee. We've got the Mississippi River downtown. When you think about the strength of the current of that river, there are times a great storm will occur. Some trees will fall into the river and some limbs will get stuck and other things will get stuck in the way. But eventually the current is so strong, those trees and those limbs and those things that are stuck don't stay stuck. The current will eventually cause them to be unstuck and they'll float downriver. You can't be in the current of God and stay stuck. And so what does it look like for us to be in the current of God? If you are stuck, put yourself in the flow of God's activity. What's the flow of God's activity? Be around people who are running the race. Be around people who are moving, not sitting. Be around people who are loving. Be around people who are serving. Be around people who are giving. And literally, yes, there will be a time that you can actually help in this process and you can start swimming. But initially, just float. Just Mm -hmm. float downstream. Just put yourself in the current and the flow of God's activity. I think that's a great first step. If that's you out here and you're thinking, I don't know, I'm just feeling distant from God and down on myself and all of those things. This means go to church when you don't want to go to church. Mm -hmm. It means serve when you don't feel like serving. It means give when you don't feel like giving. It means all of a sudden, if you don't feel like doing these things, but you do them, eventually the feeling will follow the obedience. And just be with people who are doing those things, and they'll pull you along, and they'll pull you up. It's allowing the body of Christ do what? Help you draw near to God together, help you hold fast together, stimulate you to love and good deeds together, and encourage you daily. Well, and I think of a gal that I've been working with for a while, and she and I have met a couple different times, and there are things that she's working on, and I kept trying to encourage her, you need some friendships. You need some other women at the same stage of life. You need to get connected. Just circumstances and time and excuses, it hadn't happened. And then just last Sunday night, this group of single gals meets, and I'd been trying to get her connected to that group and she texts me back immediately after she left I'm so excited it was terrific and you could just see that she had finally put herself there and man it felt good even if she wasn't feeling a hundred percent she knew it felt better she knew it was right she could sense that the Holy Spirit within her resonated with the Holy Spirit in those women absolutely that's a perfect example So one reason that they're struggling, they're not around people and and they need to get into the flow of God's activity. What other things would you say you would want to speak to somebody out there who's stuck? All right. So the first part is easy. If you're stuck, just go with the flow. Just get in the flow of God's activity. But the second part is you got to start being faithful in a little. So it's the principle of you reap what you 
So I don't want to overwhelm you, but I want you to pick one or two things that you're going to be faithful with. Initially, maybe it's I'm just going to be faithful to go to church and be around people and get in the flow. But second, maybe it's I'm going to be faithful to have a priority time or I'm going to be faithful to listen to a podcast or listen to something outside of Sunday to just renew my mind more and more. Or I'm going to be faithful to serve in a particular area. We need to understand this about the principle of the law of the harvest. Here's the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. That law exists whether you believe in God or not. If you sow good things, you're going to reap good things. If you sow bad things, you're going to reap bad things. We cannot bypass the law of the harvest. This is where 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. This is where I don't have a shortcut for you. Unfortunately, in my life right now, I am having to exercise harder and more than I've ever wanted to to try to just get in shape. And then I'm having to discipline myself with a diet more than I've ever wanted to or enjoyed doing just to try to lose some weight and get in shape. Ultimately, we're going to see, do I reap what I sow? And if that's true in diet and exercise, we see the foundation of this truth is a biblical truth, and it's especially true in our spiritual life. So they've got to take it small, just be faithful in a little. And if you're someone, you are struggling out there, you go and you put yourself in the flow of God's activity. I got a message today on my phone from someone I haven't heard from in years that doesn't even live in town. Hey, do you have any recommendations for a devotional? Find somebody around you and send them a text. If you don't know what to do, hey, I don't know how to read my Bible. Can you show me how? If we were talking sports right now, it's mastering the fundamentals. It's going back to the basics. And when you go back to the basics, what are the basics? It's what we've been talking about. The basics are renewing your mind. The basics are being in renewed relationships. The basics are being in renewed service. And the basics are giving. When you renew your mind with the word of God, when you have friends, and then when you serve according to your strengths, according to your giftedness, and then when you give the first fruits of what God, just if you did the basics, you can't mature beyond the basics. You can't mature beyond the fundamentals. We can't grow beyond the foundation. We've got one other area that I see here on our notes as to why people aren't growing spiritually. This one kind of stings. They aren't obeying the Holy Spirit. So what do you say to that person that they know right now they're in a place of disobedience? What hope do you give them? What direction do you give them? We've got to understand where obedience comes from. The source of obedience is love. Scripture says, if you love me, you'll obey me. So what I would say is if you have an obedience problem, I would say this in love. I'd say it kind of tender. I'd say it trying to understand the sensitivity of this. But I'd say if you have an obedience problem, that means that we have a love problem. Scripture says that we don't obey God in order to love him. We obey God because he loves us and because we love him. What we must do is we must go back and go, what do I need to do to cultivate that love relationship? What do I need to do to be closer to him? What do I need to do to be closer to other people? And the more that I love God and the more that I love people, the more I'm going to obey God. People don't obey God because they love themselves more than they love God. We obey who we love the most. Typically, and hey, I'm guilty. You're guilty. We love ourselves a lot. And so we got to work really hard to put ourselves in a position to receive God's love and to return his love with love so that we're going to 
obey him from a heart of love. The word righteousness, the definition of righteous means obeying God from a heart of love. That is such a shift in thinking because some people, unfortunately, have this view of God just being this policeman in the sky and spiritual growth is this hard and difficult and someone smacking you upside of the head to get there. Really, the root of it is love. Maybe as we wrap up our session together, we would end with a couple verses because You've got to ask that question sometimes. Am I ever going to have victory? Am I ever going to be the person of God that I want to be? We have confidence because of the word of God. Philippians 1, 6, it says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. There is hope. We have the Holy Spirit to help us and guide us in this. Karen, in the same way that you and I have a 16-year-old and a daughter that's going to be 15 this Saturday, sometimes we doubt ourselves and sometimes we question, are they going to grow up and be who we want them to be and who God wants them to be? But guess what? We are giving 110% of everything that we possibly can to help them become who God wants them to be. If we're doing that as human parents, how much more is God committed to that process? God did not send his son to die for us in order to give up on us. Salvation is not independent and separated from sanctification. Salvation is the beginning work, salvation means it's a point in time experience with continuing results. The continuing results are sanctification. So let me close with one other verse that just shows what God is doing. You mentioned Philippians 1.6. Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God who works in you. Do you see who's doing the work? We are responding to God's initial work. We are responding to God's initiating. God is at work in us. And sometimes we take on all the responsibility and all the burden and we think it's all up to us. But it's the Holy Spirit doing that initiating work. And it says this, both to will, and that word to will means to desire. So he's creating the right desires in us and to work for what? His good pleasure. And so we can take peace and confidence in that. God is not going to give up on us. God is going to complete what he has started. God is going to perfect us. And he does that through every circumstance. And he does that through relationships. And he does that through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he does that by giving us the helper. The Holy Spirit is the helper. Well, that brings this podcast and our series on the Holy Spirit to a close. If you want more information on any of those topics or our ministries, I want to encourage you to go to chrisconley.net or karenconley.com and highpointmemphis.com for any ministry-related information. But whatever you do, please remember that love God plus love people equals love works. 